honest, it's a fun and exciting time, but if you're like me, sometimes it adds a little extra challenges, a few difficulties to squeeze everything in, and sometimes just the added stress of the holidays puts a little pressure on our families. Now, growing up at the holiday times, there was always a lot of fun for us. My dad took a few extra days off. We always had a great time, but there was always the time for the family photo. Did you guys do this, the family photo? I have some... Uh, some really great family photos for you right up here on the screen. So guys, do you have my first one? Can you go ahead and show them that? You, you see that family photo? Look at that kid down there. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. <laughs> go ahead and show them the next one here. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. Yes. I, look at that. Isn't that straight from the 80s? Look at those phones. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, hold it here for just a moment. Hold it on this one. <laughs> I saw this one and I thought, they, they have staged that, or that girl's a great actor, or really she's demon-possessed, one, one or the other, I don't know. Go ahead and show the next one, gentlemen. I like that one right there. Yeah, mullet and guns, I mean, it's just, it's, it's good stuff. All right, so holidays can be a little awkward, put a little bit more, there you go, isn't that good? <laughs> oh, I don't know if you have any awkward family photos, or maybe awkward family moments, or if you're anticipating any. Holidays can be interesting, so we thought what we would do is we would elevate the value of family in this one principle. you got to fight for your family. I mean, your family's worth fighting for. It really is. And everything in life, all the pressures, like at the holiday time, your schedule, your own agendas, almost everything in life, if left to its own, will work against the health and the vitality of your family. Now, all the good stuff that happens in your family requires a certain amount of effort and engagement on your part. Same thing's true in my family. And so we wanted to elevate what God's Word had to say about families during this message series in hopes that you and I would take His Word to heart and we would actually see our families this holiday season begin to thrive, that we would actually enjoy our time together, that maybe we'd even go so far as to put a few practices in place to make sure that for not just this holiday season, but even moving forward, we could benefit in our families, all right? So today, as pastors Greg and Matt told you, I'm going to help you look at the power of encouragement. Now, a little uh, confession here at the, the front end. The Bible says that confession is good for the soul. Actually, I said the Bible says that. I'll be honest, I don't know if that was Ben Franklin or the Bible. I don't know if it's actually in the Bible. Some Bible scholar can correct me after service. But uh, confession, nevertheless, is good for the soul. A little confession on the front end. I'm not sure I do this one great. There are pockets in my life, pockets of influence, where I'm a really good encourager. Then there are other places where I'm not so much. And so as I was preparing this message over the last few weeks, I got to tell you, I got, uh, the, the biblical word for this is, I got convicted. Like, like I felt as I was studying, thinking about what I wanted to say to you and how powerful this principle from God's Word is, as I was studying it, it really got to me. Now, in the church I was growing up, when you sat in a sermon that, like, touched home for you, really dealt with stuff you need to deal with, we would say that the preacher walked on my toes today. That's, that's what the, the, uh, the bishops and the, uh, the elders and the deacons in my church would say, right? They, he walked on my toes today. Well, I did a, a kind of a miraculous feet over the last few weeks. I've walked on my own toes. I don't know how you do that, but, but I did that. I want to take you to a passage of scripture that's really powerful for our principle today. In fact, we're going to look at two specifically. The first one is in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you have your scriptures, you can go there. If you didn't by chance bring a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen so you can follow along with us there. 
Now, the book of James is a powerful book in your New Testament. God made sure to give us the tools we needed as followers of Jesus, as as people that were exploring faith, as people that wanted to know what this whole Christianity thing was all about. God made sure to give us these gifts in the Bible, these books, these powerful, insightful truths about life, about your life, my life, family life, world life about God himself, his character, what he's like, what you can expect from him, and how we intersect with him, all right? And the book of James is powerful in that regard. It gives us so much practical wisdom in life. In fact, if you're struggling, if you come up against a wall in your life and you just can't seem to get over it, there are two books I want to take your attention to. Maybe you just want to write this down on the offering envelope and take it home with you. The book of James in your New Testament will give you practical wisdom that deals with almost every environment in life. And then in your Old Testament, the book of Proverbs as well. These are two significant wisdom books in your Bible. And in our church, we constantly go there. Now, I don't know if that's because we're not wise or because we're seeking to be wise. I like to make it more about the second one. We're seeking to be wise in our life. And so when we look at the book of James today, it's not just general wisdom and something to be nice to do. It's actually very pointed specifically to what we're going to talk about today. And it gives us a really powerful beginning point, one that I explored somewhat last week. And then a very different passage, but the the principle is the same. So in James chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, here's what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to the word. That's words from God, words about God, words from God's word. Don't just listen to it. And if you do just only listen to it, then the Bible says you're going to deceive yourself. Now, all through this message series, in every talk I'm giving, we have to hold in mind a certain principle, a certain understanding about ourselves, that the capacity we have for self-deception is high. The capacity we have for self-deception is high. And when it comes to family and our need to fight for family, this capacity you have and I have for self-deception often is the very barrier we have to destroy if our families are going to thrive. Because let me tell you what's very easy to do. To look around and fault your mom. To look around and fault your dad. To look around and fault your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister. It's very easy in the family context to look around and fault everybody else. And sometimes, let's be honest, it's valid, isn't it? I mean, we get just enough encouragement and reinforcement in faulting other people. We're accurate enough, we're we're correct, just the appropriate amount of times to convince us that every time there's a challenge in our family, we should point the finger at somebody else. We've seen them blow it enough to where we know it's likely that it's them. But the Bible constantly reminds us when we look at it and when we're honest with ourselves about the way life normally works, Very often in every dynamic, it's not that the guilt is all placed in one direction and that direction is away from us. Very often in every human dynamic I've observed, and I hate to admit even for myself, while sometimes the guilt does go out, almost always there's a shared guilt right back on me. There's part of the problem that is me. And I've observed, and don't tell my wife, she's actually stepped out of the room for a minute. In our home, usually when there's a problem, part of the problem's me. And I made sure she had lots of tea to drink before service so she couldn't be here to hear this. She's going to need to spend a lot of time out of the room, all right? So, um, but it's true. And, and here's, here's, here's what I know about your family. Without even knowing the dynamics, it's true in your family as well. 
If you're having challenges in your marriage, when you have challenges in your parenting, when you have challenging, challenges with your in-laws, a lot of it's them, of course. Especially if it's in your in-laws, of course it's them. And a lot of it is you. And so the Bible constantly reminds us when it comes to these important life-changing principles, don't be deceived. Self-deception, is the capacity we have for that is very high. So here it says, don't just listen to the word and do, deceive yourselves, but instead do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a, and I love this language, in a mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever intently looks or looks intently into the perfect law of God's way of doing life, that gives freedom. And when they continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Now, if you read modern management and leadership books like, you know, Stephen Covey in, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s, and, and, and John Maxwell, who's kind of written for 30 years, a lot of management and leadership books you pick up, they'll talk about this principle of the mirror versus the window, and, and it's their way of describing the dynamic I was saying to you, that we have a high capacity for self-deception. And so what we, what we often do is we look out the window for our faults, when what we should be doing is looking in the mirror. And we have the opportunity this morning, when it comes to a very powerful principle at work in your family already, it's already at work, we have a very powerful, potent opportunity this morning to not look at the window and blame everybody else, but to look intently into the mirror. And when we have this time together this morning and we look into that mirror, we not only have a chance to look at it in the moment right now, we have a chance to leave here remembering what God put on our hearts today. And when I prayed for our time together this morning over the last week, my prayer is that we wouldn't just hear some stuff today and then forget what we've heard. We wouldn't just hear some stuff we'd actually put it into practice. We would leave here with an action plan. We would leave here changed. Because today's principle, we're going to go deep on it in our time rem remaining. We're going to go deep on this one sliver of truth from God's word. And it would be really easy to sit here today and just crave to experience from somebody else what I'm going to talk to you about. It'd be really easy today to think, Ben, you're so right, and I need that in my life. And I'm going to challenge you to hold off on that emotion for just a little while. And rather than feeling the urge that you need what I'm talking about today, I'm going to challenge you to think about it this way. That maybe what your family needs, what the dynamic in your marriage needs, what your parenting needs, isn't simply for you to receive what I'm talking about today, but for you to actually give what I'm talking today. When I was first starting out in ministry, I was green and and young, and full of energy, and vitality, and I had a degree under my belt, and I pretty much knew the answer to everything. I, I was wise, and smart in my own eyes, and my personal capacity for self-deception was very high. So I went to my first church, and I was serving there, and I was in seminary at the time, which is the school that pastors go to, and I'd finished my undergrad, and I was in grad school, and I was feeling pretty good about life. And so I stepped into this first church environment, and in my denomination, it was I was fortunate. God opened doors for me, and I was able to serve in our largest church in this particular state that also was close to the seminary that I was going to, and I was one of the associate pastors at that church. 
This church had a wildly different culture than the one that I grew up in. Very different way of looking at life and looking at family and talking. I, I thought they talked weird. And, and I went to this church and I had such high hopes and such significant uh, sense of destiny and that God was going to use me. And after about three months, I remember sitting in, in my office and putting my head down on my desk thinking, it's not going so well. I'm not sure they like me. I'm not sure I like them. I'm not sure a single thing I've talked about has made a bit of difference. And it just so happened right about that time that one of the older gentlemen in the church invited me to lunch. And I thought, this is awesome. Maybe, maybe I have one friend. And so we, we sat down and we had lunch. And here's what he said to me. He said, Benny boy, now, now listen, um, I don't like being called boy like that. It, it got under my skin. And so I started off, you know, really, really high expectations and immediately went to some reality checks and some wondering what this conversation was. He said, Benny boy, we don't really like you here. <laughs> okay, this is an honest moment, isn't it? <laughs> we just, you know, the truth is just pouring out. And he said, here's why. He said, you're not from here. And you're going to that school over there, and it sounds like you think you know more than everybody else. Ouch. That, that's not good. I, if he were right. You know, I, I'm sitting there with all sen- a kind of sense of uh, self-evaluation. I'm trying to judge in the moment what his heart is and where's this thing going. And then he looked at me and he said, but my wife and I have decided that we're going to take you under our wing. And we're going to help you succeed here. I still wasn't sure I liked it. But here's what he said to me. He said, I got, I got something for you. He said, everything you do, we're going to be there. And before you walk into a classroom, before you walk into a meeting, before you walk on stage, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to just talk to me about it first. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to change your mind. I just want to understand what you're trying to say. Now, this guy's got to be 60, 70 years old, old, retired. Uh, he ended up owning several coal mines, a state trooper, a very forceful, powerful figure. He said, I just want to understand what you're trying to do. And before you walk out and say anything, let's just talk about it a little bit. Again, I'm not trying to change you. I'm not trying to change you. I just want to encourage you. I just want to help you see it the way your congregation's going to see it. I just want to help you see it the way the people in our church are going to see it because you come from a different place than we come from. And my wife and I have decided we're going to take you and your wife under our wings and we're going to encourage you. So I have to be honest, I was shell-shocked. I was frustrated. I I knew there was some truth in what he was saying. If nothing more, he had actually described the disconnect that was happening between me and the congregation. And so I took him up on his offer and started meeting with him. When I meet with him, his name was Perry. Perry and his wife, Rita, they would, they'd sit, as, they'd sit me and Jill down often for dinner, for, for breakfast, for, for lunch, and we'd just talk in general about life and kids, and he was very wise on a lot of things. But when it came to church stuff, he and I would meet privately, and he would just listen. And then he would talk to me about adjusting a little bit here or changing a little bit here, but here's the number one thing he did. He began to speak encouraging words into my life. I know you can do this, he would say to me. You're up to this task. This is a good place where your training is going to come to bear, but you have to tone down this and elevate this. And over time, we built a relationship of trust where he kept depositing into my life strong wisdom, strong encouragement. And if we came to a particularly difficult challenge in the church, and I needed to speak to that, typically before I would speak, he would get up and he would say, now, Ben and I have been chatting he carried a lot of weight in that congregation. And he has some significant wisdom for our congregation on this matter. 
And he would just raise the level of receptivity in that room. There are a lot of ways that Perry helped me in ministry and in life. But the primary way he helped me deals specifically with the principle I want to chat with you about. It was an encouragement. He took me at a low, and he began to speak into my life words of affirmation. He would speak words that I had desires to do, but had hit a wall in my ability to do. And he would call that out in me. He would say good things about me. He would compliment me. And when I needed to hear it, even the way he spoke truth and correction in my life never felt like I was getting a spanking. It felt like this guy had a heart for me. He had developed a skill in encouraging. Now, we only stayed at that church for a couple of years. And the reason we moved, we had a significant opportunity in another state. And the hardest thing for me to do was to walk away from that active relationship that I had with, with what I, would, I called him Mr. Perry and, and Miss Rita. And I asked him one day before we left, you know, why do you do this? You know, wh- why did you do this for me? I've seen you do it for other people. And he said, well, Benny boy, I never came to terms with that. I never really liked it. He said, um, he said there's a passage in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 11. One little phrase, one little verse. I'm going to read you the verse or so before it. And I'm gonna, we're going to zero in on this one verse. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not difficult to understand. And yet it's incredibly potent. And if you will discipline yourself to plumb the depths of this one slice of God's word. And to go down deep in this thing. The effect it will have on your family over time will be significant. It's such a powerful principle that if you just take it beginning this week, if you've never done it before, and you begin to do it this week, almost immediately you're going to begin to see fruitfulness from it. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. Here's what it says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Now, last week we talked about the law of sowing and reaping, the laws of the harvest for the family. That's what I'm talking about. If you give freely, somehow you get more. If you withhold, you're going to come to poverty. That's true in emotions. It's true spiritually with money. It's true with your time. When it comes to the relationships, the way you treat people has a way of coming back to you. And then he says, verse 25, Proverbs does, A generous person will prosper, and here's the key verse that motivated Perry. And I have found, when I live this verse out, it has significant, positive, powerful impact on my family. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And I drilled down with Mr. Perry about why he took me under his wing and really paved the way for me to have success in that church and to have relationships that that to this day still are meaningful to me. And, and, And it's been 20 years since we've served there. He said that this one phrase, straight from God's word, lived consistently in his life, had such a powerful impact on him that he wanted to use it for the benefit of God in the life of other people. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, here's something that the Gottman Institute that studies these kinds of things discovered. That in every relationship dynamic, there is a one to six ratio. They observe this in families. They observe this in the workplace. 
they, they observed this in what they would call tertiary levels of engagement. So family being intimate, kind of workplace school being you know, a little less intimate, but even you know, on, on the, the peripheral, just where you interact with people, they, they discovered a one to six ratio of interaction. One piece of encouragement, we'll just abbreviate, to six bits of criticism. One to six. They said that when you go about your normal life, regardless of what environment you're in, that what typically tends to happen is you encounter six pieces of criticism for every one bit of encouragement you get. Why did you do it that way? I'm not really happy with how you performed over here. You seem to always have this kind of an attitude. That work over there isn't acceptable. Now, the criticism, some of them are very valid. And, and there's a discussion to be had around telling the truth and being direct. And I can't deal with what happens at school and work. It's beyond the scope of, of our environment today. And I can't deal with what happens in the general today uh, environments that you operate in, that tertiary third level of influence that you have. I want to deal with that most central level of influence and relationship today called the family. The Gottman Institute that, uh, discovered that not just when it comes to work and school, but when it comes to family, the same ratio, give or take a little bit, tends to be in operation. That husbands and wives, when they interact, there tends to be six statements, six tonal influ- uh, indicators of criticism for every one piece of encouragement that you get. Now, friends, I don't have to tell you this. You probably already know. That if they're right at all, and I think they are, that this is the way it normally runs, if they're right at all, there's no wonder why families struggle. There's no wonder why marriages are challenged. There's no wonder why often there's just rough road between parents and kids. So why did you do that? You did that again? I told you not to. Again, a lot of it's true, but six to one. So just real quick, do an inventory. Just in your family. Maybe you need to do this at work at another time. Maybe you need to think about your larger influences in other. But just in your family, like where you're living today, or where you came from if you're, if you're in a you know, single home because you still have family. What's the ratio like in your house? What's the ratio like in your house? Here's, here's, what Perry, here's, here's what Perry told me. That he decided, because somebody had done it for him, that he was going to, as often as he could, be an encourager. And that while he, he really did have significant wisdom and insight, and he typically could, could read a situation, like, like very few people I've ever met in my life. I mean, he just... He had this emotional intelligence and just a general wisdom about him that came from a life of of, of living with the Lord, you know, decades. What he was incredibly good at, and everybody that was around him knew about him, was that he was an encourager. He was an encourager. He had decided in his life, he didn't know about this study, this is something I discovered later, but he had decided in his life that this ratio wasn't going to be true. And so very often I'd be spending time with him Somebody would walk into the room, somebody didn't go to our church, we'd be at a restaurant together, and they would yell across the room, Perry! And they'd come over and they'd be chatting, and, I, and after that person would leave, I would discover that Perry had made 
some similar type of investment in their life. To the level that he had influence, to the level he had time, he made a significant investment in that person's life simply around the principle of encouragement. And rather than having the constant criticism that speaks into our lives, some of it is true and we need to hear, but it is almost overwhelming, he decided he was going to call out the good, the good that was actually happening and the good that could happen, both. And he decided, he didn't know this and we didn't talk about it in these terms, but my reflections later, he decided he was going to almost be a prophet in that person's life, a prophet of good, a prophet of hope, (laughs) And a prophet of helping people reach their potential. The very dreams they had in their own hearts, they had hit a wall to to achieve. He was going to help them by being an encourager, surmount that obstacle. He certainly did that in my life. The power of encouragement isn't something that's just nice to do. And it isn't just Oprah speak. Straight from the pages of God's word, there's character after character that picked up the responsibility to be the encourager in the environment. And when they did, it made all the difference. You may have heard of a guy in your Bible called Paul, the Apostle Paul. God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. But before there was a Paul, there was a guy by the name of Barnabas. You see, before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul, and he decided he would kill Christians. (laughs) That's what he wanted to do. So when Saul becomes a Christian. Christians are very leery about the guy that just a week ago was trying to kill him. Very, very, very leery of letting him in. And everybody had heard of this guy, and they knew he was smart, they knew he had influence, but they didn't trust his heart. So God sent to Saul, whose name becomes Paul after he becomes a Christian, God sent to Paul a guy by the name of Barnabas. And Barnabas' name literally means the son, that's whenever you see bar in the Bible, it means son of. bar Nebas, right? Barnabas, son of Nebas. His name literally in Hebrew means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. And Barnabas, who had significant clout and influence among the disciples and the early church leaders, decided he was going to rally up next to Paul, and he was going to vouch for Paul. So the Bible says in the book of Acts that he takes Paul into the environment of the disciples and he speaks for him and he says, this guy has been changed. I have seen it. We should listen to him. Long before Paul had influence and before he began to write the letters that, that we read in this church all the time and hopefully you're reading at home, there was a Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who opened the door for Paul, who lent him a certain amount of credibility, who spoke good into his life. And they traveled together for a long time. And we don't talk a lot about Barnabas, but without Barnabas, there is no Paul. And God could have done it in some other mechanical way, but that's the way he chose to do it. What's your ratio in your home? Ladies, let me let let you in on a little secret about us men. And guys, you can can shoot me later, take my man card if you want, that's fine. Um, But most men I know are asking this question on some level. Some of us do it directly, some of us do it indirectly. Sometimes it happens temporarily. Other times it's a little bit more ever-present. Here's a basic question that a lot of men in the room are asking. Do do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And let me me tell tell you where this shows up. Do I have what it takes to be a good dad? Do I have what it takes to be a good husband? Do I have what it takes to be a good leader? Do I have what it takes to get this job done? And on the deepest levels of their soul, 
in, in every single person, we're going to talk about the ladies in a minute, but in every single man that I, that I have met, uh, at the deepest level, there is an insecurity. And some of us are very good at, at covering it and managing it and working through it, and others aren't. But it's there. Do I have what it takes? Now, let me tell you why they're, they're asking this, because they live in a world where the six-to-one ratio is at work, and they are wondering if they have what it takes, because the world often tells them that they don't. They don't look this way. They don't act this way. They don't make this money. They don't earn this thing. They don't carry themselves this way. They don't talk this way. And all this dynamic of the six to one gets embedded in, and they're wondering if they have what it takes. And ladies, I just want to stress on you, both for your sons, for your brothers, for your dad, for your husband, for your uncles, you have incredible power in your words. Incredible power in your words to speak life and encouragement and to make the principle of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 true that whoever refreshes others will himself or herself be refreshed. The power of encouragement, the role that Barnabas played in Paul's life, the role that Perry played in my life. You can play that role. You can. You have the power. You have the ability to change the ratio in the men's life that you care about. I'm not saying you can't tell them the truth. I'm not saying you can't speak words of, of just accurate reflection and evaluation into, your, into their lives. This job did not, of course you can say that. Of course you can say that. I'm just saying that the ratio of engagement probably needs to be a little more balanced than what typically happens in the average family. You know why the average family struggles? Probably a thousand reasons. It has something to do with this, though, as well. And you can do something about this, ladies. You have the power. It requires a certain amount of effort and planning but a knowledge that it's likely true that your husband, your son, your brother, your dad, on some level would love to hear from you, somebody he cares about, that you think they have what it takes, that you believe in them, that you're going to stand by them, that, that they are a risk worth taking, that betting on them is something you're willing to do. It's incredibly powerful both with your words and actions, but often your tone. You can say to the men in your life, I believe. Others may not, and in every environment in life, you may be experiencing a one to six ratio. But here in this house, we're going to bring our ratios into a little more balance. You have that power. Ladies, you have incredible power. I, I, have, I have known men to be jealous of other men, not because the wife of the other man was prettier, had more money, had more talent, but jealous of the way that wife spoke of her husband. And wanting that same thing for himself. Nothing will knit your husband's heart to you more than using your words, your tone, your body to say to him, I am for you. I believe in you. This is incredibly biblical. 
the, the principle of encouragement is all through the pages of your Bible. So let me just ask you, ladies, in your home, as it relates to the men in your life, your sons, your husband, what is your ratio? What is it? And what do you feel like God would like it to be? And it's probably going to have to take a little bit of work. And your first line of challenge might look like this. Well, I would encourage him if there was something worth encouraging him over. And that reveals where your heart is on the matter. That you would rather look out the window and point the finger than to look into the mirror and take responsibility. And when you take responsibility and begin to live out God's word about being an encourager to those people that God gave you to do life with, that's when real life begins to change. And you begin to life that you ultimately really want yourself. Man, let, let, me, let me turn the tables just for a second. You know what the women in your life are asking? Maybe not in every case, but this, this gets close to it. Do you notice me? Am I special? That's what the women are often asking. Do you notice me? Am I special? Now, they don't ask you this directly. Here's what they do. They get their hair cut, and they come home, and they don't say anything about it. Ladies, this stinks. I ain't going to lie. I don't like this about you. And you're waiting to see if he notices. And if it, too much time has passed, even when he does notice it, you'll remind him, oh, it's been two days, and you're just now. Uh, yeah, yeah you've, you've experienced this, right? Maybe it's just my marriage. I don't know. Personal therapy right here on this stage. I don't know. I, nobody says these things that loud. A, a man doesn't come to his wife and says, am I worth it? A woman doesn't say, do you notice me? But she discerns whether or not you notice her through the lenses of this ratio. You know why she, she's asking this? Because she lives in a world where beauty is airbrushed and computer-generated images of what it takes to be a woman that is noticeable. That's what she sees when she checks out at the supermarket and when she turns on the television, this airbrushed, superficial description of what it means to be worth noticing, worth somebody's time and attention. And men, you have it, right now the ability to change the way the significant women in your home that live at your address that you have shared the table with, you have the ability right now to begin changing the way she sees herself to be a gift in her life. And it doesn't require significant deposits of time. It requires small deposits of time over time. The power of encouragement is incredibly biblical. And for those of us that are following Jesus, let's just make this clear. The, the Bible tells us that, that the power of encouragement, the gift of encouragement, is one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to use you to do in this world. That the Holy Spirit becomes your encouragement and fills your cup up, and he expects you then, out of the fullness, the fullness that's coming to you from the Heavenly Father, he expects you then to deposit that into the life of the people that he has given you um, the privilege of sharing that life with. And man, you have an incredible ability. Guys, you have daughters in the room? I can't say enough about this. And when you can't meet every single need, and you can't surmount every challenge, let me tell you what you can do. You can be a voice of encouragement in that room. Now, when I talk about encouragement, it's one of those categories that falls into the nice, you know, one of those uh, principles that falls into the nice category. And here's what I've discovered about nice things. Nice things are nice. 
There's no sense of urgency or specialness or drive in them. Yes, it'd be nice to do, and of course I could do more. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it's worth you making a timely concerted effort, starting now and growing in your ability to do this. Because the potential for change in your family here is huge. When tensions mount, when things don't go right, it's easy, it's easy, easy, easy for the criticism to rise. And sometimes it's necessary to have a critical conversation. But most of us, this is what happens naturally. Nobody drifts towards encouragement. Your family won't drift towards encouraging one another. You women and you men are going to have to take the effort. And listen, if you're in high school or college in the room, you're not exempt. I mean, I want to challenge you here for just a moment. Quit, quit being selfish on this principle. And always expecting your parents to deposit it in your life. You're always going to find people that will help you blame your parents. Instead, pick up the call of God in your life to become an encourager, upline. If you're in high school, you're in college, what would it look like if you encouraged your parents? I mean, wonder what impact that would have on your family dynamic if you spoke words of affirmation into your dad's life, into your mom's life. Now, of course, you could do a lot of this other stuff, but I'm telling you, the power of encouragement in your family is huge. There's another side of this thing that I, that, that I want to show you. That it's definitely more than being nice. It's worth your timely effort. But there's a reason why a lot of you haven't, haven't experienced a lot of this. For one, we haven't elevated the value and we don't understand the dynamic. But beyond that, many people don't feel good enough about themselves to let you feel good enough about yourself. It could be that you're in a marriage like that. But the, the, the person you're sharing life with doesn't feel good enough about himself or herself to, to, out of that overflow, help you feel good about you. And this is where God's word is so powerful because Proverbs chapter 11 tells us the principle looks like sowing and reaping, what we talked about last week. If you weren't here, go get that message. The Bible tells us in Proverbs eleven twenty five that whoever refreshes others, that person is going to be refreshed. You want encouragement in your life? Start depositing encouragement into other people's lives. And it will take a while because the sowing always precedes the reaping. The harvest always comes after the planting. But what will happen in your life over time? It's the very people you're sowing into. Those are the people that will begin to sow back into your life. And it doesn't take forever. I'm telling you, between now and the end of the year, just through this holiday season, men, you have the ability to change the tone of your family in the next 45 to 60 days, just with this one principle. And some of you are sitting next to somebody, and you're praying that they're listening. You're praying that they're getting this. Trust me, I understand that. But you're praying for them all day long while good is not likely to be the catalyst that will change your family. The catalyst that will change your family is not when you look out the window and hope for it, but when you look in the mirror and you say, God has given me the responsibility to be the encourager. And you hope they feel the same way. But Perry <laughs> tapped into a principle straight from God's word. That when you refresh other people, it tends to come back to you. Now this is, listen, 
This may sound like just feel-goodism, but this is thoroughly biblical and spiritual, and it is exactly why a lot of our homes are not enjoyable. I mean, there's not a lot of laughter. Every person in this room has the responsibility, and I don't care how old you are, you're not exempt, to be an encourager. You have the call of God to be an encourager, and most of all, you get the privilege of when you become a refresher, you get the privilege of discovering that God's word is true. You yourself get refreshed. This is incredibly powerful in the workplace, in your school, in your friends, but it's nowhere more powerful than in your family. And I'm going to be honest with you. I wish I lived this out consistently in my family. And there are five other people in my house that wish I lived this out consistently in my family. So I'm joining, many of you I hope, over the next 45 to 60 days, that encouragement is going to get more of my time and attention. God has convicted me in a big way over this. And the truth is, if I wanted to look out the window, because I know a lot of stories, I bet I'd do it better than a lot of folks. But I don't do it to the level that God's called me to. And because I don't, it has an impact on my family that I don't, in, I don't like. My wisdom tells me it's not good. So rather than hiding behind excuses, rather than waiting for everybody to change, I'm going to find the voice that says, I believe in you. You're worth noticing. I trust you. You're worth my time. An investment in you is a good investment. Betting on you is a good bet. With my words, my tone, my energy, my activities, I'm going to, over the next 45 to 60 days, and I hope you'll join me, we're going to elevate that thing in our home. And the gift to my family this holiday season, though we're going to spend money, and a lot, a lot, a lot of the big part of the gift, a, a big part of the gift is going to be the way we treat each other. And just very quickly, next week I'm going to tell you about a way as a church we're going to encourage some other folks. Every year we, we get some money together and we bless other people with it. And man, what an encouragement it is when we send our words and our gift. We're going to go to Pastor James John in India. We're going to help him. We're going we're to dig them a new well. We're going to put some security boundaries around that property. As they, as those girls there, the, the need for security has increased. And we're going to help him protect that massive investment. We're going to invest in the Smoky Mountain Children's Home again. And next week, I'll tell you exactly how, how but we're going to invest not just across the sea. We're going to invest right here in our own homeland in kids who just need some strong encouragement, practically, but also just verbally with our presence. Not just the gifts we give, but literally our physical presence with them. We're going to invest right here in 4C Kids Ministry as well. And I want you to begin praying about how you and your family can make a major, significant investment in encouraging and these areas influence, influence that God has given our church. And I'll tell you all about that next week. But right now, would you grab out your Connect card? And let's take a few steps together. I believe the most important relationship you can ever have in life is a relationship with Jesus. And here's what Jesus said about you. That an investment in you was worth it. So much so that he gave his own life on the cross. And God raised him from the dead as proof that you and I can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus' heart for you was you're worth it. And if you haven't yet begun a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. We ask you to take your Connect card and check next step A as a way of saying to God, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need you in my life. Would you wash away my sin, and would you become the leader or the Lord of my life? 
In a moment, I'm going to pray about it, and you can use your words, you can use mine, you can just borrow mine, and you can say, God, forgive me, wash me, be the leader of my life, and I want you to be in charge. If you want to do that, check the box, A, and in a few moments when the offering bucket comes by, you put that card in there, and you're not joining our church, you're not committing to giving money, we just want to send you some information about a relationship with Jesus. Now, how about next step B? I want to get baptized. Last week, we baptized uh, four or five people up here on the stage during second service. It's always a party around here as people go public with their faith in Jesus. Now, how about next step C here? I'm going to change the ratios of criticism to encouragement in my family. I'm going to change it. I'm not going to wait for the change. I'm going to begin changing that ratio beginning this week. If that's you, that's what I'm checking. Go ahead and check that box, and we'll join together and pray about this, and you'll get a little communication from us this week about that. How about next step D? I'm going to zero in on one person as my encouragement project. So maybe not everybody in your home needs it. Maybe they're not all beginning in the same place at the same level. But could you find one person that you're really going to zero in? And if you don't know who, and you're married in the room, it's your spouse. That's what God's saying to you right now. It's your spouse. And, and your spouse is hoping that you're hearing that, Okay. Who could you zero in on and just really make a major investment in beginning this week? Well, how about next step B? I'm going to pray about and begin preparing for my 2013 year-end Christmas gift. All right, that's what we're calling the project, the year-end Christmas gift, where we're going to give to James John, Smoky Mountain Children's Home, and we're going to make an investment right here in our own 4C Kids Ministry. Let's pray about these things and go do some encouragement after we sing together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace Thank you for investing in us. Thank you for believing we were worth your time, energy. Lord, right now, my prayer is is that we would take the ministry of encouragement seriously. That, God, we would change the ratios in our home. That in our marriages, in our parenting, in our cousins, in our aunts and uncles, with our grandparents, Lord, the words of encouragement would be more freely flowing. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.